This week's episode of Buffy Virgin is brought to you by DennisComics.com. Dennis is a cartoonist who appears on almost every episode of Buffy Virgin. He raves about monsters and recommends great horror movies that no one else has ever heard of. His two short comics in the Halloween issue Double Think that came out last year. Dennis's original graphic novel, Amelia, which is really the thing I should mention first. It's very Lovecraft meets David Cronenberg, and I know other people have said that, but it's a wonderful, dark, and interesting read. Pinup Art by Dennis St. John is also featured in issue 5 of Rich Tommaso's She-Wolf, uh, a super interesting read. She-Wolf is beautiful, artsy, and strange. If, when you're listening to Buffy Virgin, if any of Dennis's recommendations uh, for other films and stuff resonate with you at all, then you would absolutely love his comics. Dennis has a really well-developed horror sensibility that comes across in his comics. If you like horror stuff at all, you'd really enjoy his stuff. So get your horror comics fixed at DennisComics.com. That's Dennis with one N, D-E-N-I-S, and comics with an X because it's cool, C-O-M-I-X. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Hey, uh, welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. My name is Michael. I'm the Virgin. I've seen only up to season two, episode 18, uh, Killed by Death. On the show today is uh, Dennis St. John, a horror comics cartoonist and sponsor of the show. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, Travis. Hello, hello. And Jim, uh, a special guest. Hello. Uh, and Jim, you're going to have to tell everyone uh, the story of your having watched Buffy in the first place because uh, people need to know kind of where you are in relation to the show. Are you a virgin like me or are you watching this for the 10th time already? How'd you get no, into Buffy? So I got into Buffy um, when it was still on the air and it was during the fifth season, um, which gives me this really weird thing where... I like a lot of stuff about Buffy later on that a lot of people don't. So, <laughs> so there's that. And, uh, and I actually never saw the first season. I saw bits and pieces of it, but I've never seen all of it. So, um, so you know, second season's kind of weird for me because I sometimes refer to stuff that I just, I'm like, I don't know what that is. So, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, please try not to spoil the show. I know it's very tempting sometimes to bring up stuff. I don't know what's going to come up in this episode. There's probably a lot of triggers for everybody, but let's, uh, if you can say, bear me, that'd be great. <laughs> Life has a lot of triggers for Buffy references, Mike. Uh, that's that's very true. And you see more of them the more Buffy you watch. That's true. That is true. <laughs> so uh, the way the show works, we're going to go through uh, weird noticings and trivia, questions, themes, predictions, Dennis's kill count, recommendations. And I just forgot Buffy speak, which is the first segment that will come after the summary segment, which will happen now. So, uh, Dennis prepared the summary of this episode, so we'll play that now. Something is lurking in the halls of Sunnydale Hospital. Buffy finds herself laid out with the flu and hospitalized. Hospitals, the one place Buffy, the Slayer, fears. At eight, she saw her own cousin die right in front of her in a hospital. But now, Buffy is back, trapped by sickness. All her strength has left her. Only Xander stands guard to protect her from the boogeyman that is her ex-boyfriend, Angelus. Her first night, a fevered and delirious Buffy thinks she sees a ghoulish figure stalking a young boy. Rising from the bed, she explores the nightmarish hospital hallways and finds the children's ward. All the sick children, all fearing they will be taken by the same ghoul. Buffy thinks she saw in her favorite state, death itself. Buffy wakes up, was that all a dream? One child died in the night, but no one believes what Buffy saw, not even Buffy herself. Maybe the figure stalking the children wasn't a ghoul, but the ghoulish Dr. Backer. After all, Backer understands the truth about children. Second night, Buffy's feeling healthier, but still isn't allowed to flee the nightmare world of modern medicine. She sees Dr. Becker torn apart right in front of her eyes and dragged off, but can no longer see the creature responsible. Something has changed. With Becker's name posthumously cleared, Cordelia and Giles discover the real goal, the very creature illuminating the cover of Giles' monster manual. Der Kinderstadt, literally, child's death. 
the same death that Buffy witnessed when she was only a child herself. A cruel death. A death that pits you down and sucks the life right out of you. <laughs> Buffy, with Willow's help, figures out you can only see dead kingdom stop while sick and takes the sickness onto herself. An almost fatal dose of the very disease the children all suffer from. Barely able to walk, Buffy stumbles to the children's board, where she discovers they are already gone, hiding from death in the bowels of the hospital, safe hidden among the pipes, or so they think. As Buffy's fever worsens, dear Kinderstock comes into focus, and he is unimpressed with our sickened slayer, merely tipping his cap, merely tipping his cap to her, as he hunts down the children. Finding them in the darkened hallways of the hospital, he pins one down in his eyes. His eyes bulge out of his head and split open. His eyes are tentacles that suck the life right out of him. Just in time, Buffy attacks. But is a diseased fever slayer a match for a child's death? Buffy exchanges blows, but is ultimately pinned down. And the eyes. The eyes pop out Even a six layer has the strength and speed to snap a neck, proving that even death may die. Okay, that's brilliant. I feel like this is my <laughs> favorite episode ever made because I of feel that like, summary. I feel like I was listening to a horror trailer that kept going. <laughs> that kept going, yeah. Yeah, I was try- doing the horror trailer voice, but I had to do it for an entire summary. It was hard on my throat. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, yeah, three times the length or four times the length of a horror film trailer. It's, so it's like, it's hard to keep going, but you did it. I did it. Thank and you, that, guys. That was, and you should, I want you to read like recipes. Beat the egg. <laughs> Slice Beat open it. the chicken. The chicken to death. Beat the egg. Without mercy. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's get started with Buffy Speak. Uh I just see two lines here from Travis and uh, from Jim. Do you guys, could you do the impression of the character when you do your Buffy speak? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Jim, let's have you go first. Oh, great. Um, uh, I I really enjoyed, we're all concerned about how gross you look. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, Cordelia had a lot of good lines this this episode. Yeah, I don't remember liking her, but I kind of liked her in this episode. Yeah, you come back. She's a she's yeah. so likable. Um, <laughs> I I had a couple uh, Cordelia lines I wrote down. The I think the famous one for this episode is the uh, tact is just yes. not saying true stuff. I'll pass. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. Xander, oh, okay. Xander had a good line. Xander said, uh, "He said take a hike over bite <laughs> to Angel." That's not bad. Um, Giles also had the uh, uh, when Cordelia didn't know to bring gifts. He's like, it's a tradition among people. <laughs> so that's a Giles sass. I also liked him referring to Cordelia as hermetically insensitive. <laughs> uh, um, I liked Willow's freak out. She had the um, the quote, "No more frogs." No more frogs. Maybe it's more her delivery than the line itself, but it was good. I like how it represents like when you have to like fake something on the fly, you just bring up your real fear and fake it. So I'm, so it's not like she's afraid of like, so she, she brought up frogs cause frogs are terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, I quoted it in the summary, but uh, the creepy security guards quote of like Dr. Backer understands the truth about children. Sometimes they die. Like totally normal thing for a it's security a, that's guard a great, at a hospital say. That's a yeah, great player I, actor, a bit, bit actor. Um, it's a great actor too. He's been in a bunch of stuff ever since. I think yeah, Dennis and I both have so many questions about what really goes on in a hospital <laughs> after watching this. Yeah, we're so excited to have a doctor on oh my gosh. <laughs> to explain how this episode works. But we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Uh, any other great lines? Uh, I, I really liked, I always like when there's the, the nod wink to, to Buffy's mom not knowing what's going on. And so she had the part where she said, it looks like I'm interrupting a secret meeting. And Cordelia just put on her giant smile and said, you sure did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there were a lot of really fun moments like that in this show. Like the this is like a fun episode. Like the character the character interactions are fun. Anyway, yeah, like the Cordelia Xander stuff's great in this episode. Uh, all right, so let's get started with weird noticing trivia, Dennis. Uh, you're talking about the Albert Mausoleum popping up again at the beginning here. Mm-hmm. They must be fighting in the same location as last time. Do uh, they just shoot just... all those scenes at one time? I feel like they can just set it up and then just shoot them. Like, hey, uh, we're gonna have another one of those where angels well, like multiple, up. yeah, <laughs> multiple episodes in a row. They're like, this scene is written for five episodes from now. No one will notice. No one will notice that we're all wearing the same clothes. <laughs> Right, they're just like, hey, uh, get Willow to change her sweater and then we'll do this. Just Let's keep rolling. Uh, and Dennis, you're saying, uh, Angelus, this season's big bad, the badass who everyone is afraid of, can be defeated by pulling a sack over his head and then beating him with sticks. <laughs> yeah. So brilliant, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it's not his physical th- <laughs> threat that we fear from him. Yeah, and Even weak, weak Buffy, as long as the gang has a sack, can defeat him. I mean, technically, it's four against one, so it's not that bad. Yeah, but I'm I'm always surprised when like anyone besides the Slayer can take on you know a vampire, let alone Angelus, right? Like he's supposed to be such a tough guy, and then when Xander can give him a kick or whatever, like yeah. this is pretty. <laughs> cool. Um, so this is jumping ahead, maybe, but Travis, tell me, does anything about the hospital feel off to you? Like like right away, you know, when when Buffy gets into the hospital. I feel like there's too many open rooms. She's able to walk around the hospital. It's not very busy. <laughs> if, if they brought her into the ER, that's a pretty sweet ER that doesn't have a whole lot going on. Yeah, it, lo- it actually looks, pr- it looks okay. It doesn't look too bad, I guess. Um, and is she her, in the pediatrics wing or is she so like... There are inconsistencies. A- yeah, so she, wouldn't, she wanders out of a room and you see her pass a couple of rooms that have older people, adults in it. But there's no way modern day, and even back in the late 90s, she would be on a pediatric ward. So there should only be pediatric patients where she's at. So I don't know why they took, whatever, it's TV. They they wanted to walk by some adults. Because then it it makes sense, because then she's in this. They also wouldn't have a bunch of tiny children all in one room, like the way they have now. It was like a dorm room or something, like they're a camp. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, like that's a little like 1950s. That's a little older school. Ah. Now, what about the fluffy hotel bathrobes? You have those in hospitals now, right? So that shows that she comes from, uh, that, that she has someone who cares about her. They brought her all these outside clothes. Yeah, the, the clothes she wears are too nice. But so that, that's the other thing that's a little bit off. But, but, you know, her family brought her stuff. So that makes sense. She can wear whatever she wants, really. Also, she's it's not, a cool she's not for- sick. Is it cool for Xander to hang out at all hours, like outside? I mean, we'll get to that, I guess. This is part of the deep stuff. There are visiting hours, generally, yes. Uh, so, Travis, you're saying a very obvious stunt double and intro scene looks so much like the Sacred Heart Hospital from Scrubs, which makes you happy. Yes. <laughs> it, it does feel like it, it, is, it is the same set, which makes sense because Scrubs wasn't in production yet. Is there like one TV hospital that everything gets shot in? Probably. Well, there, there's there's a, a large hospital that was decommissioned in in LA. I think Sherman Oaks, and that's where they film Scrubs, and that's where they film a lot of other things. Some other hospital scenes have filmed around LA, but yeah, no, there's a giant hospital set in LA. A ch- children's hospital. Yeah, children's hospital is filmed. I think there. In the Scrubs. Or it's definitely or- filmed in the Scrubs set. Or it's filmed in Brazil. Depends which children's hospital (laughs) episode you've watched. That's true. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah, this is just a great, you know, Giles observation. But, like, I would be worried about my daughter if the male librarian kept showing up at all hours when she was in distress. Seems like a big warning flag. Like a big red red flag here. Yeah, but why now? I mean, he showed up all the time. Like, you know, now... It continues to be a red flag, maybe, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Can't you just have a mentor, an older male mentor? You know, I think life? you know. I think we've established at this point, Joyce is just kind of barely checking into Buffy's life. You know, she's a like, single mom. She's doing her best, I guess. I guess she's having sex. I'll be upset with her for an episode and then never bring it up again. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, go ahead, sorry. Somebody, somebody, somewhere called them roommates instead of like the typical mother-daughter relationship. They're basically like, they meet for dinner, which is nice, but they're running their separate lives. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, as someone whose parents were divorced, like that's, that feels like the experience. It is kind of like roommates a lot of the time. And then with occasional like mom, you know, mom mic drop, you know, where like they decide to like apply the rules. It's usually pretty random is how it feels mm-hmm. as, a, as a young person. Uh, and then Travis, you, you just said this, but uh, Buffy's Nightmare Hospital is from the 50s, not the 80s. Also older patients in the pediatric wing. Uh, and then Dennis, you're calling out little Buffy <laughs> from, yeah. from the dream. I think you made a uh, uh, prediction that we'd see little Buffy, right? I kind of uh, remember you saying that. Man, I haven't looked through the predictions. I'll, I'll look up the predictions uh, if you want to talk about Little Buffy. Let me see if I said what I said. That's all. I just remembered you saying you think there would be an appearance of Little Buffy. Well, I'm going to rely on John to to deal with the Little Buffy prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can call it out next episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it did make me happy to see Little Buffy a little bit. Like, it, it did a pretty good job. It was pretty recognizable. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, this is a great one for you, but this, uh, the demon genuinely creepy, maybe the show's scariest. Yeah, totally creepy. I mean, I think it's kind of obviously designed off of like Freddy Krueger. Uh, but it's still like, I mean, I don't think they've done something this creepy before. And I'll talk later about the eye stocks when those pop up. Um, cause I made a separate note about those, but like, he's a spooky dude. Um, yeah, and he I doesn't think, really have a backstory, right? Like, we don't learn about him, so he's even creepier. You got to, like, kind yeah. of imagine what the story is. And it even seems like, like, it doesn't sound like he's a species of demon. It sounds like there's just one, right? And he kills all the kids in the world. Uh, <laughs> at least the ones who <laughs> die like that. Um, so. So, so, Travis, uh, where are you with these hospital demons? Do you hear stories about hospital demons? Do you overhear this kind of thing? What's the 411 on hospital demons? <laughs> How real are the hospital demons? <laughs> That's mostly what I've been battling for the past five years, guys. <laughs> finally, finally it comes up. And, <laughs> no. and finally I can if, bring it up in casual. And then if you're sick, do you gain any special powers when you're sick? Just curious. Like, is there any medical reason to like become sick? Like in order to get some bonus to other skills? Bonusing to other skills. Hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, sometimes you want to get sick to fight an infection, if you know, to say sick. Like oh, like vaccine. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, you know. So there are some... And I'd, I'd say a lot of people who have mental issues think they have superpowers, right? Yeah. Or are someone important, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like Jehovah. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting stuff going there. Um, sometimes people will um, ingest... Uh, parasites and there's a thought that that can help um, some people believe that that will help them with inflammatory bowel disease that's kind of off the that's, that's not asthma, recommended right well yeah people, asthma. I people asthma. yeah in ingest in tapeworms to fix their asthma yeah well yeah so so uh, they that um uh, yeah so there's all kinds of things that could happen uh theoretically and maybe we'll learn about more in the future, but you're right. It's kind of her, her, her thing is the whole concept of, yeah. Getting feverish to have the fever dream. Well, to have the special, whatever, to be able to see the, the monster that stalks children that hasn't come up in casual medical uh, <laughs> rounds. I would say that. <laughs> well, you got to bring it up. I feel like there's some good opportunities for papers to be written about this subject. Uh, so moving on, Dennis, you're saying Angel and Xander get really close to each other, like really close, breathing on each other's necks. Will they kiss? I thought that too. <laughs> They're so intense together. I think it's about more than just Buffy. I think it's about them, their love of each other's necks. <laughs> it does look like, like when you get in the mode of like kind of thinking about fan fiction and I've started to read some. <laughs> Uh, yeah you're just like cool and that's where this fan fiction story starts you know like that that moment was just so perfect yeah i think buffy as a show especially feeds the fan fiction like i think they're aware of what their fan community wants and feeds it a little now i wish john were here to talk about star trek and when this comes up in star trek like do they put literally bait those like fan fiction people by putting people in scenes together knowing that it'll create more slash that it'll tantalize I don't know. Yeah. 
It's called, uh, isn't it called, uh, in like modern TV writing, it's called queer baiting, right? Oh, there's a term for uh, it? What? When they um, like write like sexual tension or romantic tension with characters that they d- know are never going to get together because they're gay and like that's not the plan for the show. But like they know the fan community is interested in it. It's like considered a negative thing because it's baiting. Now, now but, anime. But have- I think, sorry, there's a fly that showed up as soon as I start as we started recording. So that was my distraction. Uh, in anime, they have fan service, but that's just like partial nudity that they throw in to like yeah. their viewers, uh, which is a different conception of of like this kind of uh, fan baiting. And there was there was some fan service in this episode. I'm glad you brought that up. It was oh, weird. Yeah, there is a weird fan service moment Not about right. Cordelia's butt um, when she like sits down in front of the camera. It's very. Right, and then you even have that moment where Xander like shows us how to look at a butt. By, like, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's so exaggerated um, mannerisms, and it's so awful because you can see people mimicking that. I'm sure in the few, when people, when if young people were to watch that and think, "Oh, that's this normal." How you look at a butt. I never learned how to look at a butt before. It isn't taught in classrooms for a good reason. It's taught on the streets. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely by, streets. By construction <laughs> workers. Uh, I don't know how to look at women. Maybe someone could teach me something like that. And it's like, yeah, just go down to like where they're building that new apartment complex and ask around. They'll teach you. Kidding, you go to television. Television teaches you everything. <laughs> uh, They'll show you by example. Jim's got the next observation here. You're saying angels got their first line is really gross, but definitely playing into the Xander ineffectiveness trope. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of gross lines in this hospital scene. <laughs> we already talked about, like, the kind of, like, uh, Xander getting called out. But, but yeah, the, and you could just see, like, Xander just, like, wilt when, when, uh, when Angel said that to him. He was just like, ugh, you know. But, but it's all, I think it all plays into the whole undercurrent of, of Cordelia continually calling him out about just still wanting Buffy more than her. But it was still really, it was, I mean, it was, there was a lot packed into that. I don't know. Yeah, Angel's like a classic bully right in that scene because he's like totally doing the sexual conquest uh, thing that I think happened just like, what is it? Uh, was it Larry, whatever, the kind of gay Larry? Like, what is it, two episodes ago? You know, where he's kind of like trying to do sexual conquesty baiting things. Like, it's like, it just makes Angel another, another bully. Uh, so Dennis, uh, your next thing, little Buffy pretends to be power girl. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about this for one second. <laughs> little Buffy pretends to be power right. girl, which is a DC superhero. Did they know, or did they pick a generic one? Yeah. I am guessing that they didn't know that they were like, well, we can't use Supergirl, So we'll do a uh, power girl, but that's a, another DC superhero. It's hard to right, come up with a generic name. You got to do your research. Yeah. There's just I, so I many superheroes. I think they knew. Well, but why would you pick Power Girl though? Why wouldn't you just say Supergirl? She's so much more interesting. She's she's uh, she's like she's the she's the uh, super she's she's sort of the reject. She's sort of the the super weird um, cousin of Clark Kent, <laughs> right? She's she's had all these horrible uh, origin stories that have really changed over time. I, I don't I mean- know. I mean, the writers are working on like a genre show. They they are familiar with comic books. Like, yeah, we so they know it. They That's know true. They they would be familiar with comic books, but I feel like especially then, Power Girl would be pretty obscure. Well, maybe. Uh, I mean, maybe it's like when I reference Buffy to people who are in the real world, they don't get it, but I like it. Maybe they're just trying to be obscure to show how deep they are into it. I mean, oh, maybe yeah. It's like a way of showing. Oh, hey. I really, I really know my comic stuff, or at least I know my DC stuff. I mean, we had a Marvel comics kind of in the background in Xander's room, just like a few episodes ago, right? Yeah. Who wrote this episode? Let's find off. We'll look up who wrote this episode. Okay. That'll reveal the truth about this comic book reference, whether it's intentional or not. No, it's funny. It, it felt unintentional to me. Like they made up a name. I totally agree. Which just felt strange. Yeah, because Power Girl is such a generic name. It's, that was my thinking. I mean, it's 
this is a show that uses brands in it, you know, like I don't think there are too many fake kind of like references within the world, you know, like they don't make up their own brand of soda. They don't make up, you know, their own cartoon characters for these posters and stuff like it's Andrew's room. Right. That's probably something that would happen now though. in like the post Rick and Morty type of world, we probably like make tons of internal references to fake things or Futurama would do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, says, as I said in an earlier episode, wheelchairs are fun. Yeah. Uh, Buffy gets wheeled around by uh, Willow and Willow's into it. She's like, you want me to go, go really fast? Uh, so I'm just bringing that back. That wheelchairs are fun. Thanks for that reminder. They, you know, we all forget how much fun wheelchairs can be. Give it a spin sometime. Uh, Dr. Backer, apparently also, you said, is the name of a famous paleontologist. Yeah. Now, is that That's casual knowledge, or did you, you Google that? Um, it was knowledge I had. I mean, I don't know how casual it is. I'm a dinosaur nerd. But Dr. Backer is probably one of the, like, I don't know, top two or three famous paleontologists. Uh, oh, man, I'm sorry. I stopped getting dinosaur news when I was 10. So, like, I'm this is legit new information, which is great. I, it's a shame that as an adult, like, you don't get too much dinosaur info. But it's I, worse when you went to school in the 80s, so all your dinosaur info is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> especially like when you're in the 80s, but the info is like still from the 60s because the library hadn't updated. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to say this is a kind of a tangent, but I really liked the, I kept really liking the signs that they had for the doors. And Dr. Backer had a really good one. There was like a basement access sign. It, it reminded me very much <laughs> of like the, like all the Batman signs. Um, just a little, you know, just a little nod to that. Uh, and then uh, moving on here, uh, Giles. This is Dennis again. Giles not readily believing Buffy, explaining that sometimes monsters are just life, adults, disease. Dude, does Giles even watch this show? Does he know how the show works? Yeah, just him. He totally calls out like what the structure of the show is when he's like, "Well, perhaps this monster represents something Buffy can't fight." something we all deal with. And it's like, that is the show is like things we don't, things we can't usually like fight are represented by a monster that Buffy can break. Like now I get with the show, Giles. I should, I should probably make a prediction about this, like that there's going to be a, like, cause they got to take advantage of this like setup, right. Where everyone always assumes that a monster is involved and then actually have like a normal problem. That's not a monster. And it's just like, Oh yeah, it was just uh, some criminal stabbed a guy no monster this time and just everyone being shocked. You need to be very specific as oh. John would say. Okay. Um, I'll work on this one and get back to you during predictions, but uh, okay. yeah, I'll try to be specific about how this uh, could be used because the way it's being set up totally, totally is going to happen. Uh, Travis, you're pointing out the amazing lighting on the security guards face. Oh, it's perfectly lit, perfectly shot when he, when he turns and says the truth about children, and Cordelia asks him, what's that? And he goes, they, sometimes they die, and it just, it's, his face is lit in such a spooky bad guy sort of way that you think he's going to end up being the bad guy. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's perfect. He also shows up in Buffy's, like, hallucinatory hallway walk. He, like, pops up behind her, and the lighting in that scene, because it's, like, so fever dreamish and stuff, they get a go, like, almost Argento with the lights and like get yeah. real trippy. They definitely had a lot better lighting control. Cause I even saw like just in some of the like group scenes, like they had good character lighting where they called out the characters that were like in the scene that would ha- that they should draw attention to. Like it just felt like, yeah, the lighting was on for a change. I mean, compared yeah. to season one, I mean, season two has been fine. I, I don't notice any issues. Uh, Jim, you were just typing. Yeah, the show's improving. Uh, and I don't understand what yours and then being like, well, watch my butt too. Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's referring to the thing above that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was really weird how Cordelia was like calling him out. And then she was like, now watch me walk away. Oh so yeah. Getting called out. Was, like creepy. Mo- <laughs> like, I don't know. Why doesn't Xander thank her for the donuts and coffee? That's a big, that's a big anti Xander moment. No, oh, he just picks it up and just eats it. She just gives it to him and he's just like, okay. Of course. I I felt like it was sad. It felt a little sad to me. I don't know. It is sad waiting in a hospital for hours. 
There is a sadness that sits yeah, in. There is that too. But, but I, we're I getting close to the Buffy Bingo, folks. I, I feel for Cordelia on this one, where it's like she calls it out, and it's totally true that Xander's crushes on someone else that he can't have, right? Like, yeah. That stuff's really sad. You're coming around on Cordelia, Mike. I love it. Well, I mean, this show has so many extreme characterizations of people, but this one I like of her uh, a lot because, like, she's kind of still okay with being in a relation with someone even though they're pining for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool. Uh, and then uh, Dennis... Uh, oh, yeah, so we kind of addressed this earlier, but uh, Buffy giving herself the flu, <laughs> is that as insane as all of us assume? Travis. First of all, would the doctor even have, like pure flu right that would definitely be locked up because that would be incredibly dangerous if it ever got out yeah and you you just dilute a little bit of the flu right with water right yeah that's how that's how most things are stored most things are stored just as a concentrate like orange juice and cranberry juice and terrible flu it's all a concentrate because you don't want to ship flu if it's not concentrated that's murder i feel like that the, like the way that a disease is stored is like, I actually have no concept. Like my mind has been destroyed by movies as far as like how diseases might be like kept in. I, I just, these right now it's like mad scientist fridges with like yeah. uh, you know, warning signs all over them. And then like maybe one to well, four <laughs> different levels of security, like where you need to press a chip at the same time with your hands or there's like multiple swipers. Yeah. Like uh world war Z that whole hospital, like, scene but like this wasn't even this wasn't even like a uh what i would think of as a hospital fridge it, was, it looked like somebody's like dorm room fridge they kept all his contagious diseases in yeah you've got like your bottle of water your bottle of flu and then like <laughs> your like leftovers from brunch right next to it he's like don't mix oh, them up <laughs> <you're the wrong laughs> <one."> <laughs> uh Jim asks, uh, why haven't any sick adults seen this monster, dude? We suddenly switched from no adults to only sickies. Yeah, so so at first it was like only kids can see it, but then Buffy couldn't. But then, even though she's a kid, but then when she, when she was sick, then it was like there have to have been other adults that were sick in the hospital that had seen this guy. And that's, I don't know, like, I, I, unless, you know, everyone who works in the hospital is magically never sick. So maybe Travis can speak to that. But, or maybe they they don't maybe unlike Buffy they don't creep around the children's ward. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I bet there's just a totally different uh, creature that attacks adults because this one. I, I, that's my guess. This one just goes after kids. That's why no adults have ever seen it. I don't know. So that was my, that like was my a, theory. Dear adult stud. <laughs> there's an adult stud out there. How amazing is Doctor Backer gonna like feel after this thing? This monster gets you know disappears because like he's been living you know in this world where he's constantly probably like concerned that he's like gonna get sued for medical malpractice. Probably been sued. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a shit ton of kids who die at that hospital all the time. Yeah, from the like, evil monster that sits on them and then eye strangles them. You know, like you would think that somebody would go. Yeah, maybe we'll go to a different hospital next. We'll go. To- <laughs> gun on the street hey who's that pediatrician who has the like one percent success rate (laughs) but the security guard speaks really highly of them (laughs) i mean maybe that was the whole point maybe these are the parents that don't want to be parents so they bring their kids to that hospital (laughs) whoa (laughs) that's dark dark. (laughs) that's really dark (laughs) and yeah dr backer keeps coming to work what if the death rate remains the same even after this monsters gets rid of him (laughs) yeah i feel like yeah he's getting a bad rap there's literally a monster but he could be responsible for like bringing it into the world like there's so much backstory you can write on this one as far as like where this thing comes from yeah it obviously flew in from germany at some point there's infinite backstory (laughs) there's hardly any story on this creature it Um, just is it feeds off the child so this is a dumb observation from my point of view, but uh, Giles prefers working with Xander to Cordelia. So he has that moment where he gets to decide or he'd rather, you know, Xander's going to do this, Cordelia do that. And like Cordelia's going to work with him and she's so much smarter and more useful. But Giles is like 
so put upon. Like this is the worst thing in the world to be working with Cordelia. And then they have that scene together where she's asking good questions, smart questions about every monster that comes up. And Giles is just like, ugh, do I have to keep explaining this? And then they figure <laughs> out the monster right away. Anyway. Normally his kids don't ask questions. Giles just wants like a humorless underling that just like talks a little smack like Xander does, but is generally not paying attention. Like just like someone to lift the books, you know? Yeah. Giles and Cordelia is a much better pairing for getting shit done. Also Cordelia like it's, I don't know. She is like, she, she's so good in this episode. Cause like she finds out that it's like this weird, the kinder toad thing that, and then she's like kind of talking to Buffy and she's like, Oh, it's gross. I don't even, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great. Um, okay. Anyway, I think Xander and Giles are, are like a rough pairing. They're not going to get too much done. Historically. Yeah, they're just bros. A lot. And, and like Giles was so disappointed with Xander just a few episodes ago when Xander had the love potion and everybody like tried to, you know, murder him to get to him. Like, but that disappointment only lasts for that episode. He's totally. Yeah. So Giles is more pro being a dummy than being annoying. I think is, is what we've taken from it. <laughs> be a dummy. Just don't be annoying. <laughs> He's probably over the course of two years learned to tolerate Xander. Right. He's like, I know at least how to like, I can get 15 minutes of good work out of him. If I really like push him onto these specific books and like, that's all I need. But as someone who has had an intern before, I kind of do agree with Giles in some level where it's like, I do want someone just to not bother me. Like let's do this intern program. I want to feel good about myself, but also like stop asking questions. Yeah. so, Dennis, you said uh, the doctor tries to put Buffy back in bed, doesn't even notice that the children's world is empty. <laughs> we have a situation here, but she didn't even look in the room. Yeah, too distracted by Willow's frog problems. Um, <laughs> I mean, just, you know, Travis, is that good doctoring to not even look? I mean, to be fair, that lady was on her third or fourth 24-hour shift in a row. I mean, she- <laughs> She was there at morning and also at 2 a.m., so I would cut her a little bit of slack. Wow. Yeah. Good good noticing, Trev. Uh, okay, so then, uh, Jim, you're saying uh, Willow's fake frog freakout felt like a bit like a nod to E.T.'s frog scene. Also, was that Zach Braff as a cop? I swear one of those, one of those cops was Zach Braff, which I really liked when you started talking about the Scrubs Hospital. I'm just saying. I think he just uh, there. I think he just does all his acting there. Do you think he was like, we were going to cast, we were going to do a uh, casting call for Scrubs, but we found this actor just living in the abandoned hospital. <laughs> Give it a shot. He's, he's squatting there. He's squ- he's going to squat there until the scrub, till the, someone's like, we're going to make a hospital 30, a half hour comedy set in this hospital. And Zach Brown's like, I know this hospital, like the back of like, my head. Have you seen my Buffy credit? <laughs> Like, I need another reason to rewatch this episode. Thank you, Jim. No problem. <laughs> uh, two, two from here, Travis. Uh, Dutch tilt in the hallway. Totally. Loved it. Things are off. Uh, we mentioned this already, but Xander does not say thank you for the coffee and donuts, which is effed. Totally uh, effed. Dennis says, to Kinderstoat, seriously, what a fucked up monster. Way more than other Buffy demons. Those eyes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those eyes, dude. Creepy. And then do you want to talk about those <laughs> um, eyes Cause, cause, in terms of horror? You well, because, wanna... yeah, because, like, first of all, he's got these giant teeth, right? So you're like, that's how he kills the kid, with his big claws and his giant teeth. But then the teeth are just, like, camouflage. They're just a distraction. And his eyes are, in fact, not even eyes, but these fucking, like, stock tentacle things. And I was, like, really trying to rack my brain, trying to think of another monster that... I mean, I can think of other monsters whose eyes pop out or have, like, eye stalks because they're, like, slugs or something. But I can't think of anything that, like, its eyes are just um, a fake and it sucks through the – it sucks, like, fluid or whatever out through the eyes. That was – I feel like that's original. Well, good on good on Buffy. They've got a few weird original monsters on this show that, like – Yeah. Are to- I mean, they're totally strange. It is it is weird that the mouth it's not going to eat you. It's the yeah, the eye stuff. And it's so creepy. It's a great visual. Like this feels like maybe it was in a writer's nightmare for a long time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think whoever wrote this episode, I, I think Joss might've like taken a hand in designing this, like based on some on like trying to creep himself out. Like there's just a lot of weird designs in this one that, I mean, and some of it does is like, you know, very both Nosferatu and Freddy Kruegery, like, especially like the hat is Kruger and like the nose is Nosferatu and stuff. But, um, you know, usually they go so in detail about how to kill the monster and stuff that it takes the spook away. But like this thing doesn't talk. It just like, and it also has no interest in like humans at all or adults at all. It's just like, it's just a predator of the weakest thing ever, a sick kid. Like it's not interested in battles. It's not interested in proving how tough it is. It just wants to feed off of humans. But it has the advantage of being invisible and it's not, yeah. dead, but it isn't very tough. You're right. It just feeds on children. So it's like, Buffy can take it on pretty easily once it like can be found. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of cool. But he's got the claws. He tore up uh, Dr. Backer with his spooky claws. So uh, curious, uh, this is just an observation about the monster. It kind of seems like an, it's like a night terror monster. Yeah, totally. So, with the um, being on top of you. Yeah. So if someone's having night terrors, should you just kind of push at the thing? Like around them, will that will that cure night uh, That might save their life. If Buffy had known that at eight, she might have saved her cousin's life. Yeah, just kind of like push off that thing. Like take their nightmare seriously and push the thing off that they're screaming about. Okay, well I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dennis, you're saying Joyce not at all bothered by Xander laying in bed with her teenage daughter. What does Joyce think about Xander's Buffy relationship? Yeah, this is that weird hang zone at the end of the episode, right? Yeah. Willow is like sitting on the chair or something, but Xander has like bed space with Buffy. Just seems a little funky to me. Yeah, and also Joyce is like kind of serving them snacks and stuff. Like this is some weird <laughs> fantasy that I, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. It's well, they're being waited on. It's kind of like the end of the first Nightmare on Elm Street, where all of a sudden everything is like way too nice. Everybody's way too happy. Yeah, good call. Probably this all one. got eaten by Kinderstadt. Right, they're all <laughs> dead in that hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna move on now, unless there's any more noticings to questions. Um, so Dennis, you got the first questions here. Uh, did the white roses Angel brings symbolize anything? I don't have an answer. Do they? Maybe he drained the red out of them. <laughs> like maybe he supports um, in the War of the Roses. Which That's one, a good which one. one was yeah, like Queen Elizabeth or something? Was the White Rose? Man, no idea. Well, he's got to bring a gift. I mean, he's he is a, a he, yeah. <laughs> he's at least together on that part. It is weird that he visits the hospital. That's just creepy. It's creepy. He's a he's a super creepy guy. And then related to gifts, Dennis, you're saying uh, regarding the balloons or flowers mix up, is Xander being funny or is he dumb? He's question for the funny. group. He's being funny. He's being funny. All right. Yeah. Also, the White Rose is the House of York, according to Wikipedia. Okay. So yeah, still right. no no answer out there on the White Roses from Angel in uh, season two, episode eighteen. So we'll have to take that one for another time. Figure that out. Uh, have you ever faked being sick? This is, I guess, maybe a group. It's not a deep question. I'm just curious if anyone's. I'm ever- sure I have in elementary school. Yeah, I never did in school. I definitely have called in sick, <laughs> but I've never, I've never like actually pretended to actually be sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely faked it for my folks, but I think that they were just like, ah, he needs a day off or whatever. Like, I don't think they were fooled by it. Yeah, ditto. I think if I was, like, not feeling well or not wanting to go to school, I think my parents just tolerated it, right? Like, meh, what are you going to do? Like, no one's had to go. My mom was in favor of mental health days, but my mom's also a social worker, and and so her standards are really low as far as, like, proper kid behavior. So, I don't think I did. Maybe once, maybe twice. I don't think I did that that often. I think I just prayed for snow days more than anything else. <laughs> you never Ferris Bueller'd it? Like, 
Yeah, I think I think that's what we think about when we say fake the fake the sick day. We always imagine that there's some sort of awesome story with it, but I can't remember a single single time I had a Ferris Bueller esque adventure because I faked a sick day. Yeah, I never faked a sick day to do something cool. Just to lay there, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be lazy. Um, Dennis says, "How does any everybody feel about Krispy Kreme? Delicious or overrated?" I think that's the donut that uh, Cordelia brings. How do you f- people feel about Krispy Kreme? So in the 90s, uh, delicious. I think there was a lot of hype around a Krispy Kreme being built in Dayton, Ohio. You could see the yeah, donuts being that. made. That was a big deal. It was open late. And so the hype was real. Krispy Kreme was rad. Now I live in a donut uh, mecca. Uh, there's paradise. A donut paradise? Sorry, yeah. I don't, <laughs> let's be... Uh, more generic, I guess, uh, donut paradise. And, uh, it's lovely. And Krispy Kreme doesn't factor in at all. I, I never think about it. Krispy Kreme is like just a Dunkin' Donuts, just a chain. But in the nineties, very exciting. Yeah. I I'd say having lived in new England for as long as I did, like I got really like tired of Dunkin' Donuts cause it's so ubiquitous and stuff. And not even like that. I ate that many donuts, but they're just like, they're just everywhere. So I think a part of me always like craved Krispy Kreme because it's better than Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, my uh, cousin uh, had a Krispy Kreme cake for her uh, wedding, uh, and that was fun. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah, nowadays, if I can get it, Cocoa Donuts is, is pretty pretty amazing. Or there's like a, this donut science place. There's like a little donut cart that makes tiny donuts. That's pretty great. Ooh, tiny donuts. They've got creme brulee donuts. But yeah, there's, there's always, some new there's donuts that open in Santa Rosa that have like, you know, the, like trying to be like Portland donuts and they're pretty good. I get like the maple bacon sometimes. It's donuts like, are great. I, I mean, trying to be like Portland, whatever, like donuts are fine. Like I... <laughs> yeah, donut, that's what I don't understand. Donuts have always been really good in the, in the tiny donut shops are what everyone re-emulates now. It's just weird. Because we had tiny donut shops in Dayton, Ohio. We went to they were fun. they were great. Mm-hmm. I got to say that um, when I was in my mid twenties, I had a job where my morning breakfast every day was a chocolate Krispy Kreme donut and a yogurt drink. So <laughs> I don't know how I'm still alive, but I definitely used to like Krispy Kremes a lot. <laughs> that is, that is a serious breakfast, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on, where did you get the yogurt drink? Did you get it at the grocery store? So there was a, like a little cafeteria in the building where I worked and they had both, both the, and for some reason I, I like the chocolate uh, Krispy Kremes more than the like regular straight up ones. Are you talking about like a cake style donut? No. A chocolate no. cake? A chocolate no. glazed? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It was good. It was good. But you know, I, uh, I grew up in Illinois and, and I, I'm also still partial to Dunkin' Donuts, even though we have better donuts out here in Portland. So. Or different donuts, as I like to Dunkin call Donuts them. has great coffee. They got good coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would go Sunday mornings a lot and get um, like a, one of their egg bagel cheese ham combo sandwich things. That was my like Sunday morning treat for a while. Yeah, I just want a donut when we talk about donuts. I don't think about them normally, but now I now I want one. <laughs> but it's too I, I like cake donuts, so I was never really into Krispy Kreme because I'm just a kind of cake donut guy with sprinkles. Mm. You can get that well, sometimes at the office God. we get uh somebody brings in old fashions oh they're really so good old fashions mm. thank god we don't watch like anthony bourdain stuff right because like <laughs> that, besides the regular worship of anthony bourdain it'd be full of like or gordon ramsay be like man what kind of pasta do you like uh so moving on to themes deep stuff uh dennis uh, says buffy witnessing her cousin's death at at eight feels like the origin story for why she's the killer in a japanese horror movie Oh my gosh. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Japanese, I guess. I wrote that thinking about a couple of things, but it could be uh, any movie, really, where it turns out that like she's been operating under Celia's name this whole time, and she's like, Celia died at eight. That's Buffy you've been dealing with. I mean, I don't know if that fits under themes and deep stuff, but it's where I put it. Uh, I've maybe weird noticings, I think, for this one, but uh, definitely like. If you are can't stop someone from dying and they die in front of you, uh, that messes you up forever. So I, yeah, I thought she just, would be more like the protagonist in a Japanese horror movie rather than the killer. 
She feels like she feels like she was thinking like the tale of a tale of two sisters, where it turns out she was like talking to her dead sister the entire time because she accidentally killed her sister. You know. Yeah, I guess it, uh, if you think if if she killed her sister, then yeah, she would definitely end up being the villain. And that's also in um, what is it? April Fools. There's a Muffy Buffy switch, where it turns out like Muffy is dead. This is Buffy. Or maybe it's the other way around, but it's definitely Buffy. Um, is one of the names. Did that really? The movie happen? April Fools with Biff from um, uh, oh. Back to the Future. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that movie. Come on, it's got that famous line. He's only got two modes: collar down and collar up. <laughs> uh, Travis, you says you says you say. Uh, nowadays, when you drop your friend off at a hospital, it's because of an overdose. That's just dark and true. Again, this is like, <laughs> could this just be like themes, deep stuff, and dark stuff? Is that what this is about? <laughs> but this, in some ways, this is a very idyllic hospital visit. They brought her in for because they have the flu. Yeah. She has the flu. Uh, uh, I mean, I've definitely brought a friend in because he was having a panic attack. That's yeah. better than a overdose, right? It is better. It is better. But yeah, if we'd grown up in, uh, you know, early aughts Ohio or, you know, m- now Ohio, it sounds like the overdose is the the story of the moment, the opioid, addic- you know, epidemic, right? I, I'd really, that would, that's what this show would be about. It would be <laughs> Buffy uh, gets, gets hooked on opioids, right? Or like. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. She's got to take the opioids just to kill the pain. She's got so many like long-term injuries from slaying. Yeah. Or they would take that thing. She's the slush. She can handle it. Of or like that thing from True Blood, where you take like a little bit of vampire blood and you get crazy high. You know, just do something like that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a vampire blood metaphor or something. I'm sure that's an episode of Angel, right? Um, not technically. An ep- oh yeah, actually yes. <laughs> well, not exactly. No, 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 not exactly. All right. Interesting. Interesting spoiler. Uh, Dennis uh, says, uh, I hardcore relate to Xander's hospital guarding this week. Uh, I spent a lot of time just waiting at hospital care homes, that feeling that all your job, the best you can do is wait. Does anyone else relate to this? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's emotions that go on through the hospital. Like, I think like the first time you visit a hospital in a long time, you feel like uncomfortable and you're like, like it's a feeling of like, not not being real even because like hospitals aren't necessarily part of your daily life for a lot of people and then like you adjust to it and then you're just there all the time and it's like almost mundane but it's like with this like deep sadness underneath about why you're there you know but you get used to like you're just sitting in those chairs for a long time and whatever else you know and trying to do something like all Xander can do is wait and he does like because he doesn't have any other skills to do anything but just wait and that's I don't know. One of the first jobs I did when I got hired um, to repair furniture was uh, we had a big job from the Dartmouth hospital where we repaired like a hundred of their waiting room chairs. So I also always think about that, about like, <laughs> like repairing a hundred waiting room chairs that like these have been sat on for a time. <laughs> yeah. I that, Dar- that Dartmouth hospital is beautiful. <clears throat> I've had only mm-hmm. a few. Travis did a. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's gorgeous. I was there for a turn, month. What was it? A residency there? Was, uh, you were there for a month. Yeah. I was there for a month. Slept yeah. on my floor. It's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I haven't spent much time in hospitals. Um, definitely haven't had the full, like, waiting and then continually waiting experience. I've definitely visited people who are very sick in hospitals, which, you know, you know, it's got kind of like a terrible experience. You feel really helpless, but not like the waiting and waiting like for something to happen i mean just it just felt like a sad powerless visit where just like you kind of like spend all your empathy energy at one time and then kind of feel yeah really, it's yeah. exhausting right yeah yeah well because part part of that waiting right you're waiting for you're waiting to see if something will happen but mostly hoping it won't right <laughs> i mean in a lot of ways like like yeah. you're you know because uh it's not usually oh okay cool this person jumped up out of bed and now they're fine you know <laughs> like that's what we were waiting for um yeah so yeah i can totally relate to that and sort of just just 
um, the, the weirdness of, of the best thing you can do is sit there, but also anytime you're like, Oh, I'm tired of sitting there just feeling just terrible about wanting to go, you know, <laughs> like wanting to go do something else for a little yeah. bit. That's hard. Yeah. And then you feel guilt for it because you're Catholic <laughs> or <it> used to be <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> yeah. I got like video uh, 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 knuckles for you there. <laughs> that really translates to. <laughs> so, but I, I didn't, I didn't, nothing triggered for me in this episode, but I haven't been in a hospital recently. I think my most recent experiences were like with deep sickness have just been like hospice more like, and that's different enough for whatever reason that I didn't trigger. Mm-hmm. For me. I don't know why that's so different. It's, it's supposed to be very different. Uh, and then being in a hospital, being in hospice. It's designed to feel very different. Well, they've succeeded. It's very yes. different. <laughs> yes, and in, in a good way. Um, That's the intention. So, Travis, uh, you're saying Cordelia really shines in this episode, coming out on her own, showing her personality is strange but honest and straightforward. I feel like this is the first episode where she truly is part of the group and the gang relies on her as well. Yeah, I think it's the first time she calls with information for Buffy. I'm trying to remember because she calls Buffy on the phone and then um, I think Buffy kind of wigs out and then demands to talk to Giles. But yeah, she's she's a really strong character. She has problem solving on camera where she's chatting up the security guard. She's got a lot more lines, even though some of it isn't great. Most of it's pretty spot on for Cordelia. So I think this is, even though she was part of the group for a while now, obviously, but now it feels that she's this equal part of the group and it feels very sudden, but, um, and she, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a strange, a strange transformation because she also looks very old, much, very much older than everyone else in this episode. This, this reminds me of when I think, was it you or John, somebody brought up the fact that like, when did Joyce meet? Cordelia right like when did that happen like there's no scene where they like officially meet it's just like there's like oh Cordelia's here Who, who's this your friend whatever like, like yeah did, but C- Cordelia's been over at Buffy's house a ton they met at the school hard probably if someone wants to well okay my, my point maybe it's getting lost then it's just that you know like there's no moment where it's like you're part of the gang here's your gang badge I mean I, I think you're right though this might be the first episode I, I can't think of like she kind of calls out the weirdness of the group and like, like in an alienated way, most of the other, I think every other episode, this one. Yeah. I mean, she still helps out though. Like I feel like when she and Xander break in to get the uh, military weapons to take out the blue demon, you know, that's assembled. From yeah. They're definitely like, she's part of the gang then. Yeah. No, it all goes back to right around bad eggs, right around bad eggs is where she shows up and she wants to help find the missing teacher and it's of course it's to make out with Xander, but that's where she really like shows up and wants to do stuff for the for the gang. It feels like she drives them around in the last episode, and yeah. uh, in the beginning montage, you can see them going to the theater together as like a group. And then uh, the last episode, they were all out dancing together, even though Xander and Buffy danced with one another. Cordelia was there. Cordelia was hanging out with Willow in the in the uh, werewolf episode. Mm-hmm. So phases. Yeah. They have their boy talk. Yeah. It's tough. Cause it's a show that like doesn't have arcs. Right. Really. I mean, there's the Angelus arc, but doesn't really have like these relationship arcs that would have been dealt with in a modern show. Right. I mean, really it's like since the bewitched episode, right. Where, you know, she kind of like got completely alienated from her friends and like had that really powerful statement where it's like, I don't, I mean about how she doesn't have to care what her friends think anymore. You know, there's a sheep that do whatever. And like it, it doesn't matter what they think of her because their opinions change so frequently about what, who she should be dating, what she should wear, et cetera. Like that feels like where, if this was a longer show, that feels like where the hard, hard moment is. And then this is just like the first episode where she has business. But like, that feels like to me where it happened, where she's really a part of the gang. But this episode's like where it happens. I don't know. Yeah. I I think it's just the inherent difficulties in a one hour 
one hour drama that is trying to juggle so many different story arcs that they just haven't had time to devote to her character in that way. They had the Jenny Calendar story arc. They had the Angelus. They had the Oz story arc. Um, they had, um, you know, they have to, they have to give screen time to, to Spike and Drusilla. So there's just so much screen time they've had to devote other places that if there wasn't the Jenny Calendar story arc, this all would have gotten a lot more attention. That's how, that's how I sort of rationalize it. There's just only so much. There's only so many. I mean, there's like 40, they have 42 minutes every week. And they have to solve a mystery. You have to advance. Well, they could have had a Cordelia episode instead of just having another Xander episode. I mean, or yes. another season one feeling episode. Like, this doesn't feel like it moves the characters forward so much, except you're right about this moment's there, but it's not like the origin moment. isn't. isn't. And I don't know why we haven't really had a Cordelia episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so let's, uh, the, the last question here, uh, cre- you, Travis, you're at, Travis asks, uh, crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Do you ever combine different juices? They lose juices. What's your preferred juice? This is the end scene. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm for the, the creamy peanut butter, and I will combine juices and all kinds of different concentrations, and I'll dilute juice like it's nobody's business. I rarely drink full, <laughs> I rarely drink full strength juice. That's too sweet. You're basically a water guy. No, I just, I just full, full strength juice is just overpowering. I like a little sparkling water and the fruit juice combo. Like 50, 50, 25 juice, 75 water. I'm not a a math guy. I just do it till it looks good. (laughs) How clear is it? How yellow? How how... (laughs) yellow? If it's orange juice. It's orange juice. I I guess it's orange orange juice. Carrot juice? Or what juice then? Uh, I don't know. Apple juice? Like, <laughs> I like, uh, I don't know. Why are what you being so like vague and mysterious? Like mango? I like mango. That's uh, incredibly expensive juice. You're not diluting that? I don't drink, I'm not drinking juice every day. I drink juice as a special occasion. I'm not like Mr. Juice. Over Hold here. on. Do you drink full strength mango juice? Because that's overpowering. And, and it's like three, $3. I thought it was sparkling water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that, that's it. That's what I mean. It goes twice as far. <laughs> Mike? Uh, mango juice, no dilution. Orange Crazy. juice, no dilution. You're a brave man. Cold pressed. Fresh squeezed. See, all right. If you're, if you're doing that, I'll drink some orange juice. If you're making like fresh squeezed orange juice right at home, that's amazing. But I'm, I'm I'd almost rather just eat an orange. <laughs> I'm, I'm more partial to refrigerator flu juice myself. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, uh, Do you do two drops or one drop? <laughs> it depends on if one is going to slow me down or not. But yeah, I am. Um, I actually am allergic to almost everything, so I can't. I, can't, I almost never do fruit juice because it's going to hurt my stomach in one way or another. So, um, drinking kombucha how's, does that count? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a really dilute juice. Really dilute. It's like two percent juice sometimes. Also, as a kid, creamy peanut butter. Um, now I cannot eat peanut butter, but even when I get my fake peanut butter, I go crunchy if I can. Way better. Gets that that texture going. Crunchy. Full crunchy. I do uh, creamy peanut butter in my protein shakes. uh, But I don't think I eat peanut butter outside of those. Okay. uh, So moving on here to uh, predictions. Uh, John's not here to like get count up all the predictions and success rates. But uh, hopefully uh, we'll catch up next episode. Um, As far as my predictions moving forward. you know, I really got to refine this prediction, of course. So, like, um, I'm going to maybe wait till next episode to do the prediction about how uh, they're going to misdiagnose a real problem, real-world problem, as a vampire problem. Um, but that's totally what's going to happen next, and I need to be really much more specific. So I'll do that next episode. Uh, Dennis, uh, kill count and recommendations? Uh, three humans die. Uh, one demon gets his neck snapped um i had a hard time with um movies this week i I listed a lot and then i cut them down and stuff i recommend um west craven's new nightmare because obviously this is like super influenced by nightmare on elm street and so i picked the one that has a hospital death and it's the one where he kind of wears a black trench coat and a hat so it's the most similar to how guy looks um i also recommend britannia hospital which is the third of the mctravis trilogy which the other ones are if and oh lucky man they're not horror movies but they're like british 
dark black comedies, like really weird and strange. And uh, Mick Travis is played by um, Malcolm McDowell. Yep, Malcolm McDowell. I've seen Lucky Man for some reason. Oh, Lucky Man's really good. That's probably the best of those. But um, Britannia Hospital is also good. I also recommend. Um, I was trying to think of things where eyes pop out, and I thought of uh, Uzumaki, the uh, both manga and the movie by Junji Ito, because it has uh, it's a town where people get obsessed with spirals, and some people start to become snails, so their eyes start to pop out like snails. Um, also, uh, because this episode is titled "Killed by Death," you should listen to the song "Killed by Death" by Motorhead. Uh, that's it. Well, great. Um, so, uh, thank you once again for listening to the episode. Uh, be sure to check out these movies. They all appear in a list on letterbox.com. You can see how many that you've seen. Uh, check out, uh, you know, Buffy on Twitter. We're Buffy Virgin Pod. Uh, you can see Dennis's uh, sketches. He does sketches and drawings every episode at uh, our Instagram, Buffy Virgin Instagram. You can like us on Facebook. And you'll, you can participate in uh, pretty random conversations about these episodes, which can be fun. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, add us on Twitter, bring that up if stuff like that happens. But uh, thank you guys so much. We'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Jim. Yeah. Bye. Thanks.